0: What do you think of a bride that is so loved by her bridegroom that on her wedding day she wouldn't put her wedding dress on nor lipstick or makeup? What if a builder calls a carpenter to come and build a kitchen and a carpenter comes... And he tries to build a kitchen and he screws the screws without a drill or a screwdriver. What do you call a kidney that no longer functions as a kidney or a a stomach that does not digest food or a pancreas that does not break down sugar? An organ failure, right? Right? So does the Bible speak of every Christian member in a local church that fails to open his heart to the love of God and then shares this love with other brethren by the use of his spiritual gifts that God blessed him with. An organ failure. The church is depicted in the scriptures as the bride of Christ. And the makeup, the lipstick, if you like, that that God graced her with to adorn herself with all her beauty are the spiritual gifts. Jesus said, I will build my church. the church is portrayed in the scripture as a building where Christ is the builder and you and I and all the brethren that belong to this local community are fellow workers. And we partner up as laborers in God's building and the tools that God graces with, the hammer, the drill, the screwdriver, if you like, are the spiritual gifts he's given us. Again, the scripture tells us that the church is illustrated as the body, where Christ is the head. And every member that belongs to this local community is an integral organ of this body. May I remind you of, the, of the, one of the passages that we discussed last week, where it says in Ephesians four fifteen and 16, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The strength that God graced us with so that the whole body will grow, the spiritual vitamins and minerals, if you like, are digested and absorbed primarily through the means of exercising spiritual gifts. Brothers, sisters, take heed to this warning. Do not step out of our comfort zone. And use our gifts to the glory of God. We would be like a bride with wrinkles and spots not adorned for her wedding day. We would be like a crooked house. Yes, the foundation is solid, but the walls are cracked. The pipes are clogged. The kitchen is wobbly. But be encouraged, though, because on the other hand, to sacrificially exercise our spiritual gifts, we together will be like a beautiful bride, adorned with all her glory, ready for her bridegroom. Together, we will be like a a strong house standing high, worthy for the builder, to call it home and to rest in it. We would be, again, like an athlete with his muscles well-defined and toned, ready for explosive sprint and high jumps and all the saints in heaven would cheer us on. And most importantly, most of all, Christ would be pleased with us. Don't we want to be this type of Christians that are ready for their master when he comes home, that he would receive us with a smile in his face? Let us not bury those talents that God has given us into the dirt. Invest them. Don't we want to be faithful body of Christ, faithful to the Lord? then using our gifts to beautify the bride and build up the brethren is not an option investing our money our effort our time by using our spiritual gifts not an option pick up your spiritual drill paintbrush, or whatever it is that God has given you. And passionately love one another, serving one another using your gifts. That was last week's sermon. I would strongly encourage you to download and listen to it if you haven't yet. The scripture makes it clear. We are not to float around moving from one church to another. Our commitment to one local body is God's will for you. In other words, it's not an option. And when you commit, it is not just only to receive, that you'll be at the receiving end, but also at the same time to contribute. Serving one another is a command. And if it's a command in the scripture, then serving the local church is not an option. But not just that, but the scripture made it absolutely clear in 1 Peter 4 that to employ your gift is a command in the way you serve one another. In other words, we don't just generally serve one another, but to serve one another using... Our spiritual gifts not an option. And that's what we spoke about last week. Well, the question that would have been ringing into our ears for the duration of last week, from last sermon till today is, well, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? What, what, what is it? How, how do I tell? Because to to serve using my spiritual gift is to serve using my supernatural power that God has blessed me with. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? Do I pray to find out? Absolutely, but then what? What do I do after this? I'm sure there are many of us who genuinely want to love to know our spiritual gifts so that we can invest our time and effort in the most and the best way possible in order to glorify God. Well, how do we do this? Well, to start off with, I want to share with you that there are many man-made inventions that don't work. There are all sorts of ideas out there, uh, that claim that can help us to know our spiritual gifts, but in reality, they really not consistent with what the Scripture says. For example, there are computer programs, I don't know if you know about this, computer programs where you plug in what you like and you don't like, and the program processes everything, and then it spits out in the other end your spiritual gift there are other written tests and ask you so many different questions. And based on your answer, it gives you like a chart and it tells you, well, this is your spiritual gift. Yet... Others enroll into a seminary and read lots and lots of books and then um, they, they study on preaching and they study on counseling or whatever it is and then they use the learned information to plant an artificial gift in them and then use it. Is this how we know what our gifts are? All of these I submit to you are man's invented ideas, and they waste so much valuable time, resources and cause so much in- confusion unnecessarily. When we want to find out what our spiritual gifts are, where do we go? What do we? Tend- who do we turn to? We turn to the giver. We open his word. We find out what God has to say about this, not what man has to say. So, to this end, I want to read this passage um, to you in 1 Peter 4 8 11. 1 Peter 4, verses 8 11. Pray as we go through this passage that God would help us to understand the means that he intends for us to, to go through that path roadway in order to find out our gifts. So Peter says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another Without complaint. As each one has received a special, a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who's speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, lack of biblical understanding of spiritual gifts led many multitudes of Christians astray down the wrong road of figuring out the spiritual gifts that they think that they have. I believe if we just understand this passage alone, which is the main passage for today's um, message, it'll help us um to get us back on the right track and our gifts will gradually appear, appear become apparent, not only to us but to people around us. And what I'm going to do again, this is, this is a series that we've been going through for a little while. We'll put a, a pause in the book of Colossians during the summertime, and we want to understand how we ought to plug ourselves biblically within a local community, how God wants us to glorify Him within, this, within the context of a local church. I want to break down the outline for today's message. Two simple points. How do I know my gift? Number one, what not to do. Number two, what to do. Simple. Try to make it as simple as possible so we all understand. What not to do and number two, what to do. Number one, what is it? What not to do. What are the ways that we should not do in order to figure out our Our gifts. And in that, I want to cover some misconceptions based on this passage alone. Now let's read verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. First misconception, gifts are not our choices. Look again, the first few words. As each has received a special gift. We don't get to pick and choose our gift. We can only get to receive it. Last time, we spoke about and we've learned that uh, every believer, God graced with a supernatural gift when? Not when he was born, but when he was born again. You received the gift, I received the gift. Therefore, <clears throat> one we can get out of this is that we can't impose Gifts on other people, spiritual gift that I would like other people to have. You don't impose on them to work in a particular way. In other words, you don't compulsory. We as even elders don't impose on people and compulse them in order to work for God in a particular way just because we like it. Why? Well, at the very least, you are going to bring a, a Pharisee. Legalism will kick in. And though these people may operate and may serve, but there will be bitterness in their heart. Why? Because there is f- such frustration. they trying to exercise gift that they never had. Another thing, since it's received, is that we shouldn't be asking for a gift? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you ask for something that you already have. All right. Yes, you can pray uh, for God to help you to use what He already given you, or to find out what it is that He's given you. But we shouldn't pray to God to give you to give us something, a spiritual gift, because he already gave you the right one, the perfect gift that is suited to you for the edification of the church. And when did he do that again? When did he do this? At the point of your conversion. So that's first misconception. That's what you're not meant to do. Another thing is we need to understand. Passing exams are never, <clears throat> are never indication of the gifts that you have. It is not, according to this, it's not true. Multitudes of Christians spend thousands of dollars buying books, going to seminaries, studying, and finally some professor uh, somewhere uh, marks their assignments and they pass the exams and then somehow they think they artificially created spiritual gifts that God never gifted them. Then what do they do? They come back to their churches and they say, well, I've done a counseling course, I've done a teaching degree or evangelism training. Well, now I'm I'm ready to equip my church. And as they begin to use their artificial gifts, then they wonder why they made such big mess in the churches that they belong to. Why? Well, Why they make a big mess? Because God never gave them those gifts in the first place. Now, does that mean we don't read books? Does that mean we don't go to seminaries? Absolutely not. Of course, let's read books and go to seminaries and all the rest of this beautiful stuff. But that is to cultivate, to kindle afresh the gifts, the spiritual gifts that you have, not to artificially create those gifts. If you don't have it, you simply don't have it. So rather than trying to obtain something that you don't have at all be grateful for what you already received from god and cultivate that that's a second misconception third misconception this i guess it's just a a side note all right now but it's it's good to say well i'll tell you what i mean the gift is not for edifying yourself right it's not for self-edification look As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving who? One another. The purpose of the gift is serving others, not yourselves. And again, when you see the word one another, serving who in particular? The body of Christ in that local church. That is what one another means in the mind of Paul. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12. The gifts are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. God gave each one of us a gift, not for self-edification, but for the edification of others. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 again speaks of the spiritual gifts are for the common good. God intends for us to use our spiritual gifts yes I meant to that but in what context in our relationship to other believers not for private use so this would blow out of the water those private speaking in tongues so that's what I'm getting at at that point right it's not basically how do I know it's about just speaking in tongues is absurd If you're meant to, edify others. Talk a a lot more about that in Tuesday night studies. All right, fourth misconception. Tests, exams don't work. Tests like exams don't work. Program, computer programs don't work. They don't help us to do this. They're not helpful look what it says in verse 10 again at the end of it it says as good stewards of the manifold grace of god various that's what the word manifold means various Grace of God, different portions, your gift as a believer, the gift that God has given you, that blending abilities from God, those abilities make up your gift, and this gift is so unique to you, there is no one else that has your gift. 1 Corinthians 12, let me read to you. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of activities. But it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, etc., etc. And we move to verse 11. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Now listen to this. He says, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Individually portions it's like a again a fingerprint a snowflake it is so unique to you it says if God is a pianist and he designed that the gift of every believer in a local church as a, a one unique key in God's spiritual piano not two keys are identical God gave you a unique gift with a unique measure of grace. Uh, again, in Romans 12, verse 3, it says, with a specific measure of faith. To have the ability to operate your gifts. So, what does this all mean? That you, nobody else is like you. You're absolutely uh, unique when it comes to the gift. What does that mean? You can be too rigid in finding out your gift. Taking a test. Or a computer program to pinpoint what your gift is, you you can't do that. It makes no sense then. In fact, I, I don't know exactly specifically what my gifts are. I, I I'd like to think that there are some preaching and teaching in them, in my gift, but I don't know exactly. You can you cannot know specifically, you can know generally. <clears throat> so these are what not to do. If you want to know your gift, don't pray to have a gift. Doesn't make sense any more than a man would would pray to be a woman, because he's already the gender is already being decided at birth. Right? Right. <laughs> Another thing is don't impose it on others. And in passing an exam or taking a written test are not how to know your spiritual gift. Well, if that is the case, well, how do I know? What is it? Tell, don't tell me what not to do. All right. I really don't know what it is. Tell me what to do. Okay tell you what to do so we'll come to the second point what to do and there are three sub points just keep it so keep it simple i'll tell you from the from the start so make it as simple as possible first sacrificially love second intentionally be relational third faithfully serve First, sacrificially love. In other words, first open your heart to the love of God and then sacrificially share this love with his children. Where do we get that from? Let's start with verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers multitude of sins above all what does it mean above all the highest of importance at the pinnacle pyramid of all affections and godliness what do you do you exercise love right and who do you exercise love to in this passage to unbelievers no Yes, we've got to love unbelievers. But in this context, look what it says. Keep fervent in your love for one another. To believers and not just general believers. He says to one another. Meaning believers in that local church. Why? Because unbelievers need the gospel. Believers need you to love them by exercising your gifts and Peter here is zooming in on how to find your gift and use them effectively. And it starts with agape one another unconditional love for one another meaning Peter here is helping us to know what it means to love one another. How do we exercise this love? He says, keep fervent. Keep. Of course, it speaks of duration. It's like a keep, like a waterfall. Keep on pouring out your love upon the brethren. Never stop loving them. Constantly, always, without a fail, have the love that goes on and on forever. Be affectionate, supportive to your brethren. Keep fervent. Fervent, he speaks of intensity. Literally, it's used to describe a, a horse that is fully stretched out, running at full speed. Or, or, or an athlete that has stretched out his muscles to, to full capacity, totally committed, all sold out. And so continually and unconditionally love this person next to you and behind you and in front of you. Exercise fervent love sacrificially until it hurts. This is the point that Peter is getting at. Do you know someone who loves this way? Isn't it Jesus Christ? Think of his fervent love towards you. Right? You want to know what your special gift is? It begins with this. You have this resolution to be to your brothers all that Jesus is to you. Begins with that. And be sold out in your love from your heart to those that Christ died for. Ah, but but these, these people that you want me to love are annoying, Right? The annoying sinners. And some of them, m- maybe even in- intimidating. I can't even get along with them. I know. But when you commit to such love, um, you won't see their annoyance as a hindrance to you. You know how you're going to see their annoyance? You're going to see it as an opportunity. Opportunity. To pour out your life in, your life into them. This is why Paul continues in that verse and he says, since cover, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love throws a blanket over the sins of others. Doesn't mean that we, 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 we justify or excuse sins. No, not at all. It just means that you won't see the sin as an obstruction for you to forgive them, to get to know them. It means that you won't gossip about them, but rather you're going to be a means of grace to help them. And their sins will not be a hindrance for you. That is what it means. Love covers multitude of sins. You won't see the sin as an obstruction. To get to know them. Now how do you cultivate such love? How do you do this? <clears throat> well, let me tell you, it won't happen if we decide to live in isolation from one another. You can't virtually love the brethren. You can't remotely have that kind of fervent love, right? Right? What do you do? Second thing of what to do, intentionally be relational. Look what he says in verse 9. Be what? Hospitable to one another. You know the word hospitable and the word hospital, they share the same root, root word. Turn your home into an emergency department for your brethren to find shelter and comfort. Invite them over to your house. Have meals with them. Talk to them about their lives. Right? What a, what a horrible thing, brothers and sisters, if a sister uh, would make herself available to the rest of the body in order to build relationship with them, and yet we don't invite her over in order to get to know her um, because we, we don't get along. That would be sad, brothers. That wouldn't be pleasing to our father, would it? Brothers, if we only invite those brothers that get along with us, if we only build relationship with those who respect us and no more, we don't go beyond that. Is this not self-love, putting a mask on to make it look like a holy kind of love? Because self-love says, I love you so much since you love me so much. You see, self-love begins with saying basically, I love me so much, and if, if you love me as much as I love me, I want to be your friend. It's like little kids. Brothers, build relationship with others, but build them upon the sacrificial love of Christ, love that knows no favoritism. That's what we're talking about here. And we've got to then break down all the man-made barriers. We've got to invite those older and younger people than you. Invite those who are different, very different personality than yours. You might say, well, I find it hard, I struggle to invite them because whatever, I have an unbelieving spouse or unbelieving family members of some sort. Well, then invite yourself over to them. Let's die to self in the process of loving others and say, okay, I can't invite you over. Can I come over to your house? Spend time with those people that God called you to love within this local community. Go for coffee with them. The point is, if there is a will, there is a way. If you want to know your gifts... You've got to commit to sacrificially love others that belong to this church. Even, even to those that are least lovable in your eyes. Because Jesus knows no partiality. How do you know your gifts? Sacrificial love that leads to be intentionally relational. You know, in the only church we know that their life together extended far beyond the formal gatherings. We've got to do the same in this church if we want to experience what they've experienced. So when you ask a question, how do I love the brethren? Peter says here, be hospitable without complaints this is where it begins so to to answer this question in this local church i would say knowing many many other churches around us it it will be a different answer why because we're not going to ever pull out the card that says well get this is our user manual of how to be involved let's uh Let's uh, see what you like and you don't like and your skill sets and then chuck you in a church program or a church ministry. And that's how you're going to get involved. No. Do you know what I'm going to say to you? Invest in relationships. Invest. How do you get involved? Invest in relationships because we're not here. Program-driven church. We are a relational-based church. Where do I get that from? Verse 9. That's why Peter says, show hospitality to one another. In other words, be relational. Be relational. Because do you know what happens if, if you just plug yourself into a program or ministry without getting to know other people? Yes, it might keep you busy serving. That's not going to help you to grow in Christ. It's not going to help you to know your spiritual gift because you will not be serving out of love because you can't serve people out of love that you're not building a relationship with. It's just service, full stop. The right way to cultivate long-term spiritual health of this love for everyone is for everyone to invest in intentional spiritual relationship. We want this to be the DNA of our church. Amen? Be intentional in building relationship with one another. So first, we've got to love. Secondly, we love. How do we do that? Is by building relationship with one another. And thirdly, faithfully serve. Thirdly, faithfully serve. Look what Peter says. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. Continuing on. And he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards, of the manifold grace of God. Employ it in serving one another. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. We want to encourage a culture where it is normal for members that are out of love for Christ and for one another to take initiative in building relationships with other members, where they would deliberately do good to one another, serve one another. And you know what? You don't have to get a permission to do this. Just go ahead and do it. Right? And as you... Continue to love and build relationships and serve not only you, but the brethren around you in this community that you're committed to love, all of them will begin to know what your gift is in a very natural way. Is it this simple? Absolutely. Yes, it is simple. Let me explain to you how it works. It says you open your heart and your home to one another. You will begin, you go home, and, and when you go home, you're not going to say, ah, oh, what an angelic being this person is. No. You go home, and you will know, the strength and the weaknesses of your brothers right you will know their needs but there is this earnest and fervent love that you're committed and will drive you this love will drive you to stretch out yourself to help one another and as you're helping one another guess what happens your own strength and your weakness will shine very clearly and through this you will know your gifts. <clears throat> Before I was um, a pastor, I, I was asked by um, a brother to go and help him to do something in his home, just some work, I think it was drilling something of some sort, put a hole in his brickwork. And, um, l- let me tell you, my weakness shined like, a uh, midday sun. And I've, I've never been asked by this family ever again to go and, and do any kind of hands-on practical work in their house. And that's fine by me. That's fine by me because, because this family entrusted me with, with me teaching them the word of God. Right? Oh, this is how it works. I love them still and they still love me. So they, they didn't kick me out of the house. Thank God. Even though I caused serious damage, they, they allowed me in and I still tried different ways and I started teaching them the word of God and it became apparent to them what my gifts are and the lack of my gifts also, right? Everything's just been apparent to them. Let me, let me again give you another illustration just to help you understand how we apply this. I did share this once before in Tuesday night studies. Right? Suppose someone who comes to you and he really loves you law and you love him and you want to exercise his fervent love and being hospitable, he says, Look, you know, can I can I teach you God's word? And you say, Alright, sure, let's just open God's word and he begins to teach you and you find the first kid of yours, you know, becomes a Mormon as a result of this teaching, and another one becomes mentally uh, ill and the third wants to commit a suicide. You can say, by the end of it, most likely this guy is not really gifted in teaching, right? It's going to be apparent to you. And even if it's not apparent to him, you can lovingly tell him, brother, look at my kids, the outcome of your teaching, right? But then he comes again because they keep keep fervent. There is that holy stubbornness. I'm still loving you. I'm going to come. And I'm up here. Maybe I can do something else. Do you have a gate that I need to fix? All right. And then he, he begins to, to fix the gate. And he said, whoa, it works. Perfect. What about the picture? No. All right, nice. Whoa. maybe I'll take it further and build me a swimming pool. And whoa, within a day and a half, you've got a swimming pool. It, gift will naturally appear as we intentionally build relationships And in the context of that relationship, it is not what's in it only for me. But I come to you with the intentionality of how can I serve you? And while I don't know what my gifts are, I'm just going to be everywhere. I want to make myself available until slowly over time, God reveals to me what is it that would edify you the most. So how do we know our spiritual gifts? As we naturally, relentlessly continue to show the love of God to the brethren and we make ourselves available to serve faithfully, wholeheartedly. When you spend and be spent, when you drain your energy in serving one another out of love, it will be made absolutely obvious what your weaknesses and strengths are. That's how we know it. It's not complicated. Let's not complicate what well, God made simple. Love sacrificially, be relationally, intentionally, and serve faithfully. You know, for those of you who are new, maybe today, first time you've come, I want to tell you something. The reason why people come to this local community first is because of the teaching, of the theology. But that's not what keeps them here. You know what keeps them here? The type of community that this teaching has built. And when they understand what kind of community we are, founded upon the right teaching theology, that's what keeps them here for years. We go, lockdown, they come with us. We go to a different building, they come with us. We come out of the building, they, we stick together. It's because of the kind of community that says, even though we are a bunch of sinners, selfish sinners, and God is not done yet with our selfishness, yet we stick together because that is a community that the scripture calls us to have. If you never get beyond the teaching of the Sunday morning and you don't get into the fabric of this community, you'll be missing out on much of the good and unique work that God is doing here. How do we apply this? Well, first... Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Make getting together with others that that belong to this church a regular part of your life. Invite them into your homes. Like we said, have breakfast with them or lunch or whatever. Start with those who are nearest to you. But I'll tell you something much easier than that. This is why we have Sunday evening service. We have Sunday evening service and we call for everyone to come so that we make it possible to you not only to mingle with just your little group of people that you get along with, but you have an opportunity to get to know other people. And in getting to know them, you, you you begin to know their weaknesses and see how you can meet their needs. And when we come together in the evening service, yes, we have a, a meal, we have a little devotion, and then after that, a little meal. And then in that meal, we try to encourage you, not just to say, oh, what a great sermon, uh, but did you watch a tennis last week or two days ago? We only get to do that once a year. That's in the um, Australian Open Finals. <laughs> but apart from that well, no seriously we we generally try to get to know each other in a spiritual sense as well What has God been communicating to you through the sermon what stood out to you what are the things that you're going to take home and apply in your life how are you how's your walk with God going we need to be intentional in getting to one another at that Soul level. Right? We've got to do this. You know, for me, for example, I would say I would get encouraged and be edified mostly when people ask me hard questions and push me, push me to find out more about my life and how my walk with God is going and the struggles that I have day to day. Out of these Christ centered relationship building, we serve in any way possible. Let me give you a quick list. I've got it here in front of me. You know, we, we can visit the sick, pray for them, and help each other to move in and out of homes like many of us do. Find an, a, a believer who needs help and grab another brother of yours and go and serve together. Or make yourself available to pick people, give them rides to the church. So the point is this, be involved in each other's lives. Don't reduce your level of commitment to two hours a week. We've got to have life shared together. That's the point. And in the context of having that life shared together, where you want to go out of your way and think what the church not what, what the church gives you but what you also offer can offer to the church in the context of that as you committed to that naturally gradually your gift that God has given you will be very apparent to everyone amen there are some of us here that are Unbelievers, and I can see you. I see you throughout the message. And it, it, it's basically you're saying to yourself, Well, this is not relevant to me. This is not relevant to me. Well, let me tell you what is relevant to you because I want to honor the fact that you are here. You were born in sin. You're currently living in sin. And without Christ, you will die in sin and end up in hell forever. Hell is the place where you're going to pay the penalty for all your offenses against the Holy God. This is relevant to you, friends. And without Christ, there is no hope. There is no purpose for you. And the scripture speaks that when you are going to go to hell, the scripture says God will cast you into hell, out in the outer darkness, like when you cast out rubbish in a rubbish bin. Because there will be no value that you would ever to contribute, be able to contribute in God's kingdom. There is no value at. And do you know what scares me the most? That those unbelievers who hear week after week the terror of hell, that they're no longer troubled by it. Nor are they even troubled with the fact that they are sinners in the hands of a holy angry God and it seems to me that they've been desensitized from the judgment to come and I want to say to you that I may love you as a friend and I talk to you as a friend but it breaks my heart to see you numb to what is inevitable And yet, all at the same time, we have this loving Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, would come down while he remains to be the mighty God, becomes a man, and he dies for the sins of people, sinners, sins of sinners. And on the cross he bears the punishment for our sins, And today he remains this wonderful Savior who stretches his pierced hand to you and calls you to come to him and experience this wonderful life of forgiveness of sins and sonship. That you would not only belong to his kingdom, but you would belong to his own family. Why would you reject such a wonderful call and sit on that chair with your sin in your heart? Why would you not call upon Him to save you? Why would you not stretch your hand and say, Save me, Savior. Save me from my sin. I urge you, friend, Open your eyes. There is no sweeter Savior out there. I want to ask you, I do want to challenge you before the end of the message. What pleasure of sin out there that you will not regret for eternity if it is that sin that is stopping you from coming to Christ? Show us what is worthy that is far more worthy than Jesus, and we will take it. We will follow you. But if you know that whatever pleasure that you're chasing after will damn you for eternity, that there is nothing out there that satisfies the inner soul of the man but Jesus Christ alone, what is stopping you, friend? We're heard in a communion message today. He doesn't require your goodness in order to save you. He doesn't expect you to be a good man in order to save you or even have any kind of love in your heart for you to be saved. He says, believe in me. What is hard about believing in him? He tells you, come with all your pride, all your filthiness, I will cleanse you. I will change you. Oh, why would you have a stubborn heart and hug your sin to your own damnation when the salvation that Jesus offers is free to anyone that will come? I beg you, friend, consider your eternity. Come to Christ now. He will save you. Don't shut your heart to the most Lovely Savior, the world would ever know. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for His goodness. Thank you for His sweetness. You've given us a church for our building up, for the edification of the saints and you beautified the church with spiritual gifts in order to know the fullness of Christ. May we be faithful servants and use those talents to the glory of your name and those unbelievers among us stir their hearts, Lord, Awaken his souls. Bring him to your sheepfold, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.